and I, I have now figured out the reason. Uh, I, I'm uh, one of these guys that um, just perpetually has to keep studying something and writing it down. And so uh, in the last couple of months or so, somebody gave me some ideas and I started writing things down. Pretty soon they, they become what is in essence a message. I don't have any place to present it, but, but it becomes a message and it's written there. And uh, about a month or so ago, I finished one of these. And I said to my wife, you know, I just, I just finished that whole idea. Somebody's going to call me on the phone. Two days. Two days, James is on the phone. Got to go to California. Got another funeral. Abby's uh, grandmother has passed away, and he's been doing funerals in California pretty regularly. And so I said, sure. You know, the crazy thing is, James, I'm ready, but do you mind what I speak on? He said, no, I don't care. Talk about anything you want. I said, great, because it's about avocados. Okay, so today we're going to talk about these little things. And uh, I uh, have a good friend who uh, lives in Honolulu, Hawaii. He's a medical doctor who just retired. He has an avocado tree in his backyard in Honolulu. He raises avocados that weigh three pounds. Now, he's been delivering babies his whole life, and he now is committed to delivering avocados that are big ones. Now, it's interesting because you all know what this is, don't you? Let me hear it. What is this? An avocado. Everybody knows what an avocado is. Well, no, not everybody. In 1960, my wife and I moved from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Dallas, Texas. And the first week that she was in Dallas, she went to a grocery store with the name of Piggly Wiggly. That's actually the name. And while she was there, she saw a display of these awful-looking things. And she had no idea what they were. And there was a gracious lady standing there at the display, and she said to the lady, what in the world is that? And the woman said to her, well, honey, that is an avocado. And my wife said, and what do you do with that? She said, well, honey... You can do anything you want with that. You can cut it up and slice it and put it in a salad, or you can mash it all up and you can make guacamole. And my wife said graciously, well, thank you very much. And she walked away and she said to herself, I'll never eat one of those. <laughs> now, I'm interested in avocados because in some way they answer the question, what do you know? So if I ask you today, what do you know avocado or how do you know avocado? I figured there are at least five answers to that question. And this has something to do with a biblical statement. But let me go over what the five possible answers are. If I said, do you know avocado? You might say, first of all, oh, yeah, it's a color. It's a color. It's kind of a, a greeny, browny, blacky color, and it's very popular today. People paint their houses with it. And I'd have to say, no, 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 no. I, I, I know that there's avocado paint and it's a color, but I'm not looking for that. When I'm asking you, do you know avocado, I don't mean do you know the color. So there's a second answer to this. The second answer might be, well, uh, yeah, I, I know what avocados look like. I've seen avocados in the store. I think they look like this. Well, no, they don't. They're coyote pears, but you're pretty close. So you have some idea about avocados. 
Or there is a third possible answer that you might give. If I said, do you know avocados? You say, well, I know something about them. They come from South America and Mexico. They've been around for about a thousand years or maybe even longer. They have, although they're a fruit, very little sugar in them and fiber in them. And they're healthy for you. They're good for you. And they even have some, some interesting names. They have Haas and Maluma and Gwen and Monroe and Lula, you know, and even more. That's about, I know about avocado. Or you might say, and this is answer number four, I know all about avocado. I am an avocado expert. I know how to take the skin off the avocado. I know how to split the avocado, get the seed out of the avocado without cutting your fingers off. I know that you can make things with avocado, not just guacamole salad. You can make soap with avocado. You can make oil with avocado. You can make Filipino. In the Philippines, you can make milkshakes with avocado. You can put avocados on burritos. You can do almost anything with avocados. I am an avocado expert. Well, there's a fifth answer. Do you know avocado? And the answer is, yeah, I eat them. That's how I know avocado. I eat them and I like them. Now, I think there are at least five answers to that. What do you know? And it all has to do with this English word, no. See, when we use the word no, we mean, well, I know something, I know of, I know about. It sort of needs a, a little explanation. So what does no really mean especially when you find it in the bible so let me set the scene for you the lord jesus christ is about to hang on the cross and die he meets with his disciples at night and they have a meal together and during that meal he says to them a number of things and then he prays to the lord god in heaven he prays for them he knows that this is the last evening of his life He's going to die the next day. He prays this prayer for them and in essence for all of us. And this is a portion of that prayer. John 17, 3. Jesus says on the eve of his death, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I want you to think about that. The most important thing in the heart and mind of Jesus is that his followers know God. The question is, what does that mean? The Greeks had lots of different words, by the way, that translate know that means slightly different things. But any good Greek dictionary will tell you they're all pretty much the same. They're a lot like the English word to know. It can mean a lot of those things, at least those five things that we just talked about. So let's look at them applied, not to avocado, but what do you know about God? And let's see what we can come up with. First one, do you know God? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I know about uh, gods and I know about religion. I mean, I know about zombies and I know about uh, sacred trees. What? No, that's not the answer I'm looking for. That's like telling me, you know, about avocado the paint. 
That's not the God I'm looking for. That's not the answer to this. What's the second answer? What do you know about God? Well, I know something about God. What do you mean you know something about God? Well, I've heard of God and, uh, you know, it's uh, God is, you know, obviously he's out there somewhere. God exists. My wife and I had a wonderful discussion with our neighbor across the street who owns one of these things. And we said to him, you know, uh, every time you get on that motorcycle, we not only hear it, but we see you go. And my wife said to him, and we pray for you every time you go. And he looked at us and he said, well, I understand that. He said, I have an angel bell on my bike. See that little red thing? That's an angel bell. In case you didn't know, if you're a biker, you know you should have one. And that's what he meant about knowing God. He has an angel bell. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, this is my prayer, that you know God. So here's a third one for you, okay? Knowing God is having information about God. And I know about God. My parents took me to church when I was a kid. I still go to church at Christmas and Easter. I know about God. I actually, when I was a kid, went to Sunday school and I learned all the books of the Bible. I can tell you where they are without looking in the index. I have information about God. I know something about God. I I know God. Is that the answer that Jesus was looking for, that you have some information about the Lord God? Well, here's the fourth answer. I am an expert on God. Now, who would ever claim that unless they have a library like this? I know all about God because I have studied theology, and that is the study of God. I can tell you all about God. I know the history of the Christian church. I know the difference between dispensationalism and covenant theology. I understand Pentecostalism and charismatics and how they differ from one another. I understand the Quakers, the Mennonites, and the Anabaptists and what the differences are. I understand how we take communion as consubstantiation or transubstantiation or just memorial. I understand that when we're baptized, we baptize one time forward or one time backward or one time or we baptize three times. I understand all this. I have read all the books. I I now go around teaching people about God. I go to conferences. I know all about God. I'm an expert on God. That must be what Jesus meant when he said, I pray that you know God. You think so? Well, before we look at answer number five, I want to tell you that when I was a kid, I had a fish aquarium. It was a 50-gallon tropical fish aquarium. And I used to ponder over the fish in my aquarium. I would sit and look at them in the aquarium. They swim around. I made a very nice aquarium for them. I had little houses in there. I had little shrubs in there where they could hide. I fed them every day. They had bubbly water, air coming out all the time. They were very happy in their aquarium. And I used to ponder, I wonder if they look at me. (laughs) And I wonder what they see. Because they can't get out of their aquarium. Well, unless your name is Nemo. 
but then that's a cartoon character. They're stuck in their aquarium, and they can't know anything outside that aquarium. We went to our granddaughter's wedding in Arkansas a couple of weeks ago, and my daughter-in-law teaches at the University of Central Arkansas in Conway, Arkansas, and she said, listen, we're dedicating a new planetarium. We can all go for nothing. I haven't been to a planetarium since I was a kid. So we all went to the planetarium. It was a really nice planetarium. And if you've ever been to a planetarium, they show you all the stars in the sky and all the features of the stars in the sky. And then, as usual, this guy says to us, now I want you to think, because in the past we have been able to measure, and I have no way of verifying this, that there are two trillion galaxies in the universe. Two trillion galaxies. Not solar systems, galaxies. Two trillion? He said, but that's all new now. The Hubble telescope, and then he swooshes in on all these stars, has revealed more stars to us. We now know, he said, there are 700 sextillion galaxies. That's seven with two with 23 zeros behind it. Wow. And I sat there thinking, you know, I, I'm just uh, a fish in a tank. <laughs> I don't know nothing. I don't know anything about that. How do I know about God? I can't help but think of these passages. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It is written, what eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, the writer said, you, don't, you, you can't even imagine. You can't even imagine what God has. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. i got to tell you, I, I'm not sure I can figure out how you know God. I don't think we can even understand God to dissect God. What did Jesus mean when he prayed that they might know you? Here's Job, chapter 36, 26. This is Job. You know the story of Job. He wrote, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. Chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things, God, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Sixty-six times Job uses the word no to say he doesn't know. Jesus' prayer was that we might know God. And I don't think answers one to four satisfies that prayer. That brings us to number five. You remember number five on the avocado. What was it? Eat the avocado. Taste the avocado. Experience the avocado. Listen to what Peter says, 1 Peter 2, 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Hebrews 6, 4. Who has tasted of the heavenly gift. Now, how in the world does it happen that you can taste 
that you can experience God to know him. Well, Billy Graham figured it out, didn't he? Some of you are of his era, very popular back in the 60s through the 80s. He wasn't giving a message of having information about God. He was asking people to have a personal, intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He went around the world preaching that. By the way, you ought to know a little story about Ron and Billy Graham. I have the greatest respect for Billy Graham. I was pastoring a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. This is a side story, just information. Side story. And some of the people in our church in Albuquerque were sponsoring the Graham Conference Crusade in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They were paying the bills. They were behind the whole thing. And so because I was their pastor, they said, you know, you have a little time with Graham. I said, what do you mean? Well, we'll line it up. So you and Graham, you just sit down together and just talk about things. And I was really anxious to talk to Billy Graham because I had something I wanted to talk to him about. And so they got it all arranged. So before one of the crusades, had a little room down there, and Billy Graham and I sat down, and we visited for a while back and forth, just two times. And I said, I said Dr. Graham, I, I want to tell you about your son, Franklin. And he kind of went, oh, yeah. And I said, I got to tell you, I, I met Franklin. He said, you did? Yep. I said, I was passing this little church in East Texas, not far from Laterno College, and one Sunday, a bunch of kids from Laterno showed up at our church. And after a couple of weeks of their attendance, we found out one of them was Franklin Graham, your son. And he went, oh. And he said they were, they were tough times for Franklin. I ran into Franklin again in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. He ended up at my church one day. He was there on a mission thing. And I asked him if he remembered Henderson, Texas. And he said, I don't think about those days anymore. <laughs> I just want you to know, I haven't been around very many important people, but I have been around Billy Graham. Billy Graham invited people to have a personal relationship, to know God. Unfortunately, it became almost a routine that you should come forward, that you should pray a prayer, and that you could then go home, maybe join a church, but you would reassure that you had this relationship with God. I'm not sure that's what he was talking about completely, but he was trying to identify what does it mean and how do you know God intimately and personally. Okay, turn off the screen. Story. Some of you know my wife and my story. You know that we were teenage kids that ran away and got married. I was 17, she was 16. We didn't tell anybody about it, though, because that would not have been good. Now, we've been married 61 years, and so you would assume that that was a perfect marriage. Two young people deeply in love who are able to get married and stay married for 61 years. Well, it weren't that way. <laughs> Didn't take us very long. Three years after we were married, we had our first son. First son began to grow. And my wife wanted to get back into church. She had a Billy Graham personal experience with God and Jesus Christ at a camp. And she said to me, you know, we need this for our child. And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want that part. 
She said, well, you really need this part. And this became an issue, a big issue. She was baptized. I told her she was crazy. I threatened to leave her. We went on a long trip. I actually left her out of the car in upstate New York and told her she could walk home. I, I went back and got her. <laughs> Things were not going well. So much so that I said, you know, the only way I can build a defense about this is for me to know more about God than she knows. So I applied to a denominational cemetery. I was going to say cemetery. Well, it was, yeah. <laughs> and they accepted me. And I said, I got great news for you, Barbara. We're going to go to seminary. She said, no, no, not there, no. And I said, yeah, and I'm going to get a job. I'm going to be the youth pastor at this church. And with this person, I no, no. She said, no, I don't want to do this. I'm not going there. I don't want to go there. And things were a mess. Finally, one Sunday, I said to her, okay, I'm going to go to church with you today. She said, well, you are? Yeah. After all, I'm a number four now. I'm an expert with avocados. I'm becoming a God expert. I went to church with her, sat through a Sunday school class. It was the worst Sunday school I've ever been to in my life. Assistant pastor was teaching through the book of John. I think he'd been doing it for 20 years. He said, John 8, 32, if you want to know the truth, you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. Don't ask me why. I bowed my head and I said, okay, God, I quit. I surrender. That was it. My life changed. Our life changed. Our direction was reversed 180 degrees. Jesus said, I pray this for you, that you know God. That's what this song was about, that Van Denverter wrote surrendering all to know him intimately. Now, I got to admit that surrender sounds difficult. It sounds like you're giving up your power. It sounds like you're coming under somebody else's possession. You're giving somebody else control of your life. Surrender is not a good word. I thought this would be interesting. The end of World War II. Some of you might remember this. September the 2nd, 1945, in Tokyo Bay, the USS Missouri, Japan signed a surrender. Imagine the disappointment in the people who had to sign that surrender. The discouragement. The defeat. What a sad time. And to make it worse, the Allied planes flew hundreds of aircraft over the over the spot so that the person signing could, could see it all. Defeated, destroyed, desperately destroyed. Little did they know when they surrendered that Japan was having a new beginning. And that's what surrender with God is all about. It's a new beginning over and over and over again. I want to ask a question. Is surrender the right word is surrender the word to know God, because I suspect it is. 
we were living in Budapest, Hungary, and NATO was bombing Yugoslavia, old Yugoslavia. A lot of Serbians were coming up, and we met some Serbs, and uh, they got to be a little friendly. Their English was a little bit tough one day, and one day one of these Serbs said to me, Do you know Belgrade? Do I know Belgrade? Well, yeah, I said, uh, yeah, it's the capital of Serbia. No, he said, do you know Belgrade? I said, well, yeah. I said, it's the confluence of the, of the Sava and the Danube rivers. He said, no, 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 no. He, it was clear. I had the wrong word. Do you know Belgrade? I said, I don't understand. What do you mean? He said, you can't know when you haven't been there. Oh, that's what knowing is about, being there. I've been to Belgrade now. I know it. Been there a couple times, as a matter of fact. Is this picture emerging more? Is this what Jesus prayed? Is this his high priestly prayer that we might know God, surrender to him? It's not just surrender once. It's constant surrender. Listen to James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Draw near to God. James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. This is about surrender over and over and over again. How about we surrender to God every morning when we get up? How about if we surrender to God every noon at noon meal? How about if we just surrender to God again in the evening and again at night before we go to bed? How about if we surrender to God a hundred times a day and we say, you know what, God? I am yours. I want all that you have for me and you have all of me. I surrender. I uh, heard this song last month. If you can find it, since I messed up all these slides back here. Uh, this, uh, this was written by a group named Need to Breathe. Strange name for a group, isn't it? Need to Breathe. I heard it in church. It was written in 2014, but I never heard it before. And the first words are, God of mercy, sweet love of mine, I have surrendered to your design. May this offering stretch across the skies and there hallelujahs be multiplied. We're going to close this morning, and I, I want you to hear just the first verse and the refrain. Listen. Your love is like radiant diamonds bursting inside us we cannot contain your love will surely come find us like blazing wildfire singing your name God of Fish, go! 
Great words, aren't they? I have surrendered to your design. You know why your life has fallen apart? Surrender to God. You know what? Your kids are having trouble in school? Surrender to God. You know what? You don't have enough money in the bank to pay your bills? Surrender to God. You know what? Somebody's telling you that the world is going to hell in a handbasket? Surrender to God. You know what? People are telling you how bad and awful it is? Surrender to God. Your marriage is having trouble? Surrender to God. This is about saying, I give up, Lord. I surrender. I want to know you like eating avocado. And I'm coming back hour after hour after hour every day. God bless you in surrender. And remember the avocado. God bless you all. You're dismissed.